When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Maybe it's just that you don't know how to use social courtesy. Oh, that's old-fashioned. Watch how Lizzie Post and Dan Post act as host and hostess. They know that courtesy means showing respect, thinking of the other person, real friendliness. Hello! And welcome to Awesome Etiquette. Where we explore modern etiquette through the lens of consideration, respect, and honesty. On today's show, we take your questions on who says thank you when the thank you note comes from a committee, how to balance love, marriage, and etiquette, how to throw a giftless shower, and a great question about desk phones and how long to let them ring. For Awesome Etiquette Sustaining Members, your question of the week is about how to handle late colleagues when they are your superiors. Plus your most excellent feedback, etiquette salute, and a postscript on issuing invitations as a host. All that coming up. Awesome Etiquette comes to you from the studios of our home offices in Vermont and is proud to be produced by the Emily Post Institute. I'm Lizzie Post. And I'm Dan Post-Senning. Hey, guys. How's it going, Lizzie Post? I was going to say, what's going on with you, Mr. My Patriots football team, Tom Brady? Oh, wait a minute. It was the Bucks with Brady. It wasn't your Brady anymore. Did that hurt? I mean, I know it's the second season I was gonna of say, it, but you, like you think that this is hurting just a little bit, reminding it, me that it, the Patriots lost it, Tom Brady. Twist that knife. You but can it's never really lose awesome Tom Brady. Watching Tom Brady win. I I am a huge fan of Tom Brady myself. But did you have a good time watching the game? You know, for men of a certain age, watching Tom Brady continue to be great is a really affirming thing. Do you think it's maybe because you're the same age as Tom Brady? I was not implying that. I was not intending to imply that. But since you (laughs) took that from what I was saying, I won't disagree with it. (laughs) It really is fun. It's fun for me. Thank you for playing along. I appreciate it. Hey, I got a question for you. You guys typically do a pretty big annual fantasy football league thing. I know Vermont is starting to kind of, I've I've noticed anyway, more places are requiring masks again. Um, I know my sister is really cautious with what she allows her kids to do because they're of unvaccinated ages. They're not eligible yet. How, how did y'all manage this, this season? Did it, did it feel good? Did it feel weird? Is it like last year? Is it like, what's, what was the deal on the Hill? (laughs) All kinds of different feelings. Yeah. And they're changing all the time. I think that everybody had been looking forward to a return to Sunday gatherings around football games, which are a big part of our family life in the fall. And I think as the realities of the Delta variant and the risks it poses, children has become more and more apparent in in our communities here in Vermont. Mm -hmm. That has really shifted. And I've, I've noticed this whole new layer of covid response etiquette layering into the knowledge that's already been layered on in the last 18 months and that all has to do with kids and for us the football 
Sunday get togethers often involve kids. So mm-hmm. we're introducing sort of two tiered strategies. Well, there's these plans for when there are kids around, we're going to operate under this set of rules. We're maybe going to plan for people to come in different cars so that we can have adults only vaccinated only people parts <laughs> or, or elements like, to the get together like portions of the get together. Yeah. Yeah. Where we might be able to be inside watching on a TV, but maybe that's masked now, even with vaccinated adults. And in fact, it's that maybe question mark that had been the biggest difficulty on the planning because the rules for different households are shifting right now. And for us, the etiquette was figuring out what the baseline agreements around precautions were setting those to the standard that everyone could agree to and then planning the event. So there was this whole first phase of zipping up, coordinating exactly how different parents felt, what everybody's comfort level was and 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 what was physically possible. Do you feel like it felt a little bit easier just because everyone had kind of been through this at various levels throughout the pandemic pre-vaccination? You know, a lot of those skills came to bear. They did. And yeah. It was really my my brother who was the clearest with me uh-huh. about what he and his family would need in order to participate. Uh-huh. And talk about classic etiquette. Essentially, he's, you could say, laying down a marker saying, well, it's this or we can't do it. And oh, okay. Yeah. So- somehow, though, the way it's presented and the way we've all learned to navigate and manage this it ended up being really helpful because then we had something really concrete that we could all respond to. Everybody could go back to their home zone, say, this is, this is the deal. This is what it would look like. Mm -hmm. Do we want to do it? (laughs) Can we do it? And are we going to, do you feel like in the, in the, can we want to, do we want to? So like when, when you like bring the, you know, you're on the phone with your brother and, and the other, some of the other hosts and and you kind of get the idea of what y'all think is going to work and you bring it to your spouse, was it an, like just easy? I don't know. For me, it seems like it was, it sounds anyway, like it was easier for you all to make quick decisions about what sounded right, as opposed to the kind of, let me think about that and we'll get back to you. You know, it's obviously there's the, let me check with Pooj and see if we feel that's good. But it, it sounded to me like when we were talking about it before the show that the response was like, oh, yeah, check, check, check. Those are all the things I would need to have met. Yeah, let's do it. You know? Yes. And at this stage, that helps. It makes it easier that, no, the way you're thinking about it, it's actually pretty aligned with the way we're thinking about it. There's not a lot of variance. And it's really good to be so clear yeah. that that yeah. we are in agreement. So even there, yay, theme of the show the rules help liberate you, even if it's just that you are sure you know them, even if they were the ones you would have intended to follow anyway. Anyway, right. No, totally, totally. And the places where they don't quite align, where, oh, that's a little more cautious than I would go, or, oh, I hadn't been thinking about that. It would be really nice for us to be able to go inside and watch at some point or whatever, yeah, whatever yeah. it is. Yeah. But no, there there was a lot of alignment, not everything. And it does help. It does help to be used to hearing these things at this point. Yeah. Well, I will start by saying I'm really bummed that you guys have to coordinate it all that way. I think it was nice in our little Vermont bubble where Delta seemed to be at bay for, for quite a longer period of time. But I also am really excited that you guys 
are finding a way to keep some of the normal traditions going. I think that that's what was so hard about last year was so many things that we love and look forward to. We were not able to engage with and we had to just kind of get over it. And I'm, I'm liking the tone of this fall, especially as in Vermont where the weather gets colder and we are forced indoors more. Or if you're outdoors, it's like you're, you're bundling up and you're, you know, <laughs> there's only so long Looking you're going to be out there with for the better it. Yeah, forecast. Exactly, exactly, exactly. And so it's, it's nice to think that even, even with a higher risk that's in our area now, that you can still find ways to get the socializing and the traditions and the, the wonderful seasonal passing of things that happen or, or events that happen, I should say, that make us feel like we're enjoying the life we enjoy either up here or with our friends or whatever. So I do think it's cool that you guys have all figured it out. And I'm going to want that phone call Monday morning where you tell me who you got on your fantasy football team this year. <laughs> oh, the roster's set. It's looking, it's looking, it's looking good. Kaz. Oh, it's good. Looking good. Oh, good. Oh, good. Well, I think that we are looking at a really good script today for the show. So do you think we should get to some of our questions? Let's do it. Awesome. Awesome etiquette gets support from StoryWorth. There are some stories about your mom's life that you truly never get tired of hearing. From hilarious to heartfelt, tear-jerking to plot-twisting, mom's retelling of the events always brings a bit of joy. Just in time for Mother's Day, we here at Awesome Etiquette found the perfect gift that can capture all of your mom's stories for your family forever. It's called StoryWorth. StoryWorth helps you preserve precious memories and stories from your mom or a mother figure in your life for years to come. Here's how it works. Each week, StoryWorth emails your loved one a thought-provoking question that you get to help pick. What was your first job? Who was your first crush? <laughs> StoryWorth makes the writing process a breeze. All your loved one needs to do is to respond to the email prompt with a story. Long or short, it doesn't matter. I did this with my mom and it was really, really rewarding. You'll be emailed a copy of your loved one's responses as they're submitted over the course of the year. You'll get to enjoy their retelling of the stories, some you probably already know, or maybe the ones that you're surprised by you haven't heard before. <laughs> After that year of fun discovery and reminiscing, StoryWorth compiles your loved one's stories and photos into a beautiful keepsake hardcover book that you'll be able to share and revisit for generations to come. You can even keep a copy of the book for yourself. Give all the moms in your life a unique, heartfelt gift that you all will cherish for years. StoryWorth. Right now, save $10 on your first purchase when you go to storyworth.com manners. That's storyworth, S-T-O-R-Y-W-O-R-T-H dot com slash manners. It's manners with an S to save $10 on your first purchase. And now back to our show. Awesome Etiquette is here to answer your questions. You can email them to awesomeetiquette at emilypost.com. You can leave us a voicemail or text at 802-858-KIND. That's 802-858-5463. You can also reach us on social media. On Twitter, we are at emilypostinst. On Instagram, we are at emilypostinstitute. And on Facebook, we are Awesome Etiquette. Just remember, use the hashtag awesomeetiquette with your post so that we know you want your question on the show. 
Our first question is titled, Who is saying thank you? Hello, our PhD student social committee has a question about thank you note etiquette. Our faculty members make donations to sponsor our first social event of the year, and we would like to write a thank you note to them for their generosity. Our question is whether the thank you note should be signed from just the social committee who manages the funds, or if we should encourage all of the students who attended our event to sign the note as well. Thank you for your time, and we look forward to hearing your advice. Best, Deanne. Deanne, thank you so much for the question, and a little kudos, high five for participating in a social committee and putting together events. It is people like you who keep the social world going. And I really appreciate the etiquette question that has emerged out of it. Before we answer the question, I have to tell a, a quick story. When I first started working at Emily Post, <laughs> there was a woman named Dawn Stanion who was one of the more recent hires. And she'd been around for a little while, but she had come to Emily Post from the world of nonprofit fundraising. And it was a theme at Emily Post when I was doing business etiquette there that whenever questions came in about charitable giving, we always turned to Dawn. And she always <laughs> had really good advice because that had been her previous career. And she had a three-tip thought or three etiquette thoughts that she liked to share about nonprofit fundraising. And she always said to make your ask really clear. You wanted to let people know exactly what it was that you were asking them to support. Oftentimes when people do charitable fundraising, the name of the organization is enough in their mind, or they understand so well the, the the purpose or the good work that they're working on behalf of that it's not explained as clearly as it might be. Her second tip was to make your ask a no pressure ask to make it clear, but also to let people know that it was really their choice. And then her third tip was to treat your donors like they were people who'd given you a personal gift that you really responded personally with thanks and that you were sure to do it in a form that they would be sure to recognize like a handwritten thank you note. So you are nailing it. You're doing the really good work. And in fact, you're thinking about it so well, I think you might be putting a little more pressure on yourself than you need to. For an event like this, you don't need to get everybody who attended to do it. In fact, those people who attended aren't all the hosts, even if they are members of the organization that the event was conducted to raise funds for. Lizzie Post, who would you have signed the thank you note? Oh, I would definitely have the the head of this particular um, student social committee do it, if not the whole committee. And I think either would be perfectly fine. If the committee is small, like three people, not a bad idea to have all three sign. If it's a 10-person committee, just have the chair of the committee sign. I also think, Dan, that because this is a PhD student social committee and and not something like a a, a kids after school program where you might typically see that big card, you know, the teacher makes a gigantic card and all the kids sign it uh, to say thank you for the support for the event. I think it's a little not the vibe I'm getting from the age group that we're working here for for the attendees for the event. So yeah, I, I'm, I'm feeling pretty firm in the keep it keep it to the social chair committee or the head of that committee as the person signing. I like the way you're thinking about the nature of the thanks, the nature of the event, the nature of the group. The only other tip I had in mind was mm -hmm. if there was a person who worked particularly closely with someone, if they were the main point of contact or it was their personal relationship with the person that got them involved, either including them in the note or sometimes that person sends their own note if they're mm -hmm. sort of layering on a personal thanks for doing me this personal favor on 
for our organization, I can see situations where that person would either want to write their own note or you'd want to be sure to include them. Deanne, thank you so much for the question. We hope that the event was a smashing success and that your donors feel appreciated. Now, here's a group of letters with another purpose. These are letters of thanks. Now, tell me, Nora, which of these did you really enjoy the most? This is a thank you letter for our gift. Now, that's a pretty good example of the sort of thing that makes a letter a lot of fun. Our next question is about love, marriage, and etiquette. <laughs> Dear Awesome Etiquette, I discovered your podcast last year and find it very relaxing and informative. I am a person who tries to practice good etiquette in my interactions with others, although the world today is not one that calls for it as much as it has in the past. I am married to a person who is, shall we say, my complete opposite in this regard. Hey, I guess opposite attracted in this case. <laughs> my question regards the best way to address a lapse in etiquette without seeming to be, shall we say, the nagging wife. We've been through several scenarios throughout our marriage where I feel a situation could have been handled differently. For example, sharing or oversharing information with others that is not really proper to share. I've tried to bring it up tactfully in the past, but only managed to make my husband feel as though I was talking down at him, which is never my intention. Is there a right way to go about pointing out lapses in etiquette with one's spouse? particularly when said lapse typically results in frustration on both of our parts. Thanks, loving and frustrated wife. Oh, loving and frustrated wife. This is, this is a tough one. This is a really tough one. We're often the most comfortable with the people we're closest to, and, and certainly <laughs> a, a spouse relationship is pretty darn close. And it's amazing how much that closeness both gives us the permission, the space, the latitude to bring up difficult things, to share and, and walk hand in hand through difficult things together. And at the same time, it can be so hard to have that person who loves you so much say anything critical about your behavior, even when they're not intending to be critical, they're intending to be helpful or mm -hmm. even, even, and I think this is what we want to get to with this answer, even just us being able to share our perspective, you know, n not knowing how much of a communication style you have or what your communication style is between each other, how easy or hard it is to bring up corrective type things or personal perspectives within. Um, it, it's, it's a little hard to gauge just exactly how your partner will, will respond. But I do think that starting with some of those basics and trying to build conversations where you are opening the space for the two of you to talk about some of these things. So it might be that you don't address it in the moment, that you instead set aside a time maybe once a month where you say, I'd really love for us to, to work on deepening our relationship and really being able to express and feel the love and respect that we have for each other. And I'd love to talk about some ways we could do that for one another. And you, you start having that, that monthly con like you just set aside the time. We're going to do this. We're going to do this as a practice of our marriage in order to start getting these conversations happening. I'm, I'm sure there might be things he has on his mind, but he's thinking, ah, I'm just not going to bring them up. 
and it might give him that space too. Dan, I am not in a marriage. Am I, am I like, um, am I dream landing this? Is this like too ideal of a thing to maybe hope for in a relationship? <laughs> no. And I think ideals are a great place to start. <laughs> okay, good. Because I mean, that's, that's the goal, right? Is that you're, you're, you're working towards the relationship that you want mm-hmm. and the one that, that will really make you happy. And as is so often the case, happiness lies in that balance between different people's wants and needs within the relationship as it is. And I, I, I love this question. And I love your response to it in that you wanted to start the whole discussion around how you can show each other love and respect. Yeah. Because for me, that's the whole frame for this, that it's so much easier to make changes when we're doing it for someone else, not because we feel that we're told that we're wrong or that we're doing something incorrectly or that we've missed something or that there's something lacking in terms of our perspective or understanding. So the trick of offering information about etiquette in a way that communicates that this is what makes you feel good and respected not this is what some third party unnamed unaccountable rulemaking organizations as you should do for <laughs> arbitrary reasons it, it's it's not that you should only talk about religion politics dating or your love life in these ways in these situations because podcast host said you should but because that's what makes your spouse who's with you feel the most comfortable and that there are good reasons why your spouse feels that way or that you at least understand the reasons that, that are behind your spouse feeling that way. And that is such a, an easier place to work from. So I, I love the idea of building the whole discussion around the idea of fostering and nurturing a loving and respectful relationship And in that context, you can make small asks, like, could we talk about how we talk about just these topics in these situations? Mm -hmm. Because I love that focus on the idea that you want to you want to bring this to the to the relationship and the personal level of of the relationship, as opposed to the Mm -hmm. the this book or these people say this thing. I think it is often so, so much more helpful, even when something is a general shared rule out there, like a lot of people know the don't spill the beans on, you know, uh, relationships, politics, money, that sort of thing. It's that's kind of a, a common one out there. But it doesn't mean everybody knows it. And it also doesn't mean everybody thinks it's the right rule, right? We often talk about politics, relationships, religion, these types of things with one another. It's a very, I would say, a very breakable rule. But I do think whether it's, and maybe it's not so much the when you, I feel, because even that on occasion can feel a a little bit like an attack. But if you're using the, the idea of, we have a goal here and in our marriage, I love you and I respect you and I want to, to feel loved and respected in return. And I want to talk about how we can best do that. Here's an example of when I wasn't feeling it. And I hope you could just understand my perspective on that to me feels less of a, you're doing things I don't like kind of a hammer that comes down. And it it might just be that, that sort of taking a lot of care with your partner's 
emotional state with their with the reaction that you've gotten a couple times when you've played that as as you called it the nagging wife role i think adjusting the approach might be the way to to soften his ability to enter the conversation so at the risk of taking this too personal can i tell a personal story of course you can are you kidding me this is what we live for on this show <laughs> I think as you acknowledge, Lizzie, there's so much gray area here mm -hmm. that I think a really good part of the request is an acknowledgement of that gray area, mm. whether it's talking politics or how much of the family dirty laundry you air in public. <laughs> yeah. There's gray area there. Some people feel really comfortable drawing that line different places. And I think acknowledging that what you're wanting to do is Talk about where you draw that line within that gray area is one way to to start to show some respect to someone else's perspective or opinions. And in my life, you're going to laugh. I think the grayest gray area etiquette for me is the yawn. Yeah. And <laughs> going it's back come to up on this show one, all the time. Going back and to episode one. <laughs> this is where it's going to get a little personal. That same issue lives in exactly the way it lives in discourse on this show in my my Personal marital relationship yeah. with Pooja. <laughs> that Pooja wants to be able to yawn with me because we're comfortable with each other and it's a place where she doesn't want to be as accountable to that particular etiquette of mine. Mm -hmm. And for me... That's a personal space, and I really want that space to feel really respectful. And, and yawns don't feel respectful to you. They they communicate differently to me than I know they communicate to a lot of people. <laughs> well said, well said, guys, well said. And we've reached some accord around this through exactly the, the frame that we're talking about here. I get to ask, please don't yawn like that. Not because it's not appropriate, but just because I'm weird about it. <laughs> and, I like that. And the the, the, the the little good humor that I'm just weird about it. I don't need to talk about all the things that I think about it, where and why and how. But just for me, that's something that we've asked for. And if it doesn't always happen, I remember not to take it personally and not yeah. to be offended. And, I, and that's the give and take. Because I think what I also really, really hear in there is that there isn't a, if you yawn in front of me, Pooja, you are so disrespecting me. You haven't put so much weight on the issue that it would be unlivable, untenable. You know what I mean? And I think sometimes when we're navigating these smaller things, like, like, sure, you might not have wanted them to talk about a recent medical thing you went through to your sister or something like that. Mm -hmm. it, it, bad example. But it is it is it a, boy, I'm bummed that you did that and I'd prefer you not do it in the future? Or are you turning into a, and we'll flip the phrase, nagging husband about it, you know, where it's like you put so much weight on it that you're starting to act like all of her love and respect that she very clearly has for you is is gone if she yawns in front of you. And I think that's another another one is like the de the degree to which this is disrespectful or the degree to which this is truly an offense in your world. I think is is important to recognize. They, you know, like you say, I I won't take it super personally if you do yawn in front of me, but boy, I'm really going to appreciate it if I notice that you make an effort to either cover your mouth or to not to to not do it as much as you can, you know? 
acknowledge it. A little excuse me goes a long way. Blah, oh, blah, blah. there you go. There you go. <laughs> <laughs> Even that one. Jeez, way to not get the magic words in there, Lizzie. <laughs> <laughs> but it For is us. these these are deli- these are delicate things and they're not easy and every couple does have their own language of love and understanding between each other and I think the more that your focus is on that language being heard and understood between the two of you the more it's it's one more addition to making a great marriage rather than one more knock down or one more I have to change for you which I think you know no matter whether it's the start of a relationship or 30 years into it you can you can feel that Lizzie Post that is a really nice summation <laughs> I think that there is a lucky man out there who's just waiting to be found Aww. that's all I can say <laughs> thanks cuz thanks cuz well loving and frustrated wife we hope that we can turn your title into happy excited loving wife After answering this question, please do let us know if any of our advice helped. A husband and wife who have learned to give freely to each other and to their family have learned the secret of a happy marriage. That kind of love is not new. But not every man and woman knows where to look for it. And the only place it exists in themselves. Our next question is about a giftless shower. Hello there. I'm early in the second trimester of my first pregnancy, expecting our baby in April. Congratulations! (laughs) This is the first baby on both my and my husband's sides of the family, and our family and friends have all expressed immeasurable excitement on our behalf. We are hoping, COVID willing, to be able to have a celebration of this baby sometime this winter, and I am looking for some advice regarding what to call it and how to word potential invitations. Although there are many things we need for this baby, my husband and I are lucky to be in a very good financial situation, and we feel very uncomfortable asking anyone else to contribute financially to our baby's needs. That being said, I also recognize that many, many people, myself included, feel genuine satisfaction and happiness giving gifts as a demonstration of love and celebration. Because of this, I have created a registry, which I envision as something I can use as my own shopping list for the baby's needs. But ideally, also something that people who want to give a gift can use as a guide if they so choose. So far, the only person I have shared this list with is my sister who asked for it directly and who has expressed a desire to throw us a baby shower. So I guess my question is this, is there something else we can call a party to celebrate an impending birth or baby that doesn't obligate the invitees or attendees to buy us anything? Any advice on wording for an invitation to something like this? Beyond that, Is there a way to include the registry link on the invitation for those who want it without creating in others a sense of obligation? We really just want our loved ones, male and female, to gather with us and celebrate and play silly baby-themed games. A couple other details that may help inform any advice. One, we do not plan on finding out the baby's biological sex prior to baby's, the baby's arrival. And two, my sister plans on taking the lead on hosting this event, although it would likely be taking place in our home. Thank you in advance for any input. Best, Sarah. Sarah, thank you so much for the question. And just again, congratulations. What an exciting time in life. Yeah. And. I really like the way that you're thinking about this, the 
trouble that people sometimes get into around showers is when they aren't really holding in mind the two different ways that someone might feel about a big gift giving party that it can be a wonderful beautiful expression of people's love care and support for each other and it can also be seen as a pretty crass material exchange and the more you can do to keep the focus on that option a the better off the event's going to go and I think sometimes the instinct can be to pull back entirely from the gifts to say, oh, we just want to keep this out of it so that we can really keep the focus on all of those good things that we want to keep it on. And that's not always entirely possible. So, again, kudos for thinking ahead and even just the the way you're approaching the the thought tells me that you're probably going to find an, a pretty good solution and make pretty good choices along the way. First thing, big picture, because – and I, I want to start off not calling it a shower right away. Let's call it a new child celebration. Is that a good idea, Lizzie Bose? <laughs> sure. And I think we know it's a baby in this case, not a, not an older child being adopted. So you could you could say like a, a, a welcoming baby or a, a pregnancy celebration. That could be another way to theme it. So even just starting to take the focus away from the word shower I think is a good place to start. But – also that whatever you call it the there's a baby coming and it's the first one both in our sort of immediate family unit and in our larger extended family the reality of people wanting to give you something and support you and particularly to do it around that party and that celebration is is a reality that you're going to be dealing with and because of that you get to say things about gifts on the invitation to this party like you do with very few others. <laughs> sort of. I, oh, can I jump in for a sec, cuz? Please. So technically showers are the only event where you can put a registry link on on or, or registry information on the invitation itself because the invitation is – is creating an obligation. I know a wedding does that too, but that's a little bit different of an event. The shower, the entire purpose of it, the whole thing is about giving gifts to the person being honored. Like there is no other point of this party. And so the for the shower in particular, if you call it a shower, putting that registry information on, I think is okay. But if you call it something else like a pregnancy celebration or pregnancy party or uh, sometimes people call them sip and seize, but that's for after the baby's born where you come over for often a little drink, whether it's, it's punch or it's a mimosa or something like that, and you meet the baby. And that's also a party that doesn't necessarily have to come with gifts, but is is around sort of baby welcoming a new baby into into a family's life. Those parties, I could see you leaving the registry information off of and just giving it to people if they ask, if they say something like, I'd really love to get you guys a gift. Do you have some kind of a list or any ideas? But for me, because if Sarah is really not wanting any gifts or to suggest or put the pressure on for gifts, I think you need to not call it a shower. And I think you need to not make the registry information readily available alongside the invitation. I think that those are the two things that will accomplish what it sounds like she's wanting to do. I want to put this out there as well. You've got your sister who wants to host this event for you, even if it is going to take place in your home. You've got the first baby on both sides of the family coming this spring. 
I'm thinking maybe just go for the shower, go for the traditional. You want to play the baby games, you want to do the baby things during it. I just, to me, it feels like we're basically doing a shower, but saying we'd be okay if you didn't get us gifts at this, you know, for the shower. And so my thought is to actually call it a shower, include the registry information for those who are going to want to get gifts, and then really clearly state that while we know, and you could even, you could even put this like on the back of the invitation or on an insert, you could say, well, we know many folks want to celebrate and show their love via gifts. We also want to be very clear that we would welcome any advice or well wishes as a tremendous gift to us at this particular time. We are able to take care of ourselves and we really just want to celebrate this exciting moment with you. If I received an invitation like that, I would be like, oh, cool. This is like a shower, but it's like a shower light. Like if I if I don't get a gift, they're going to be okay and I can still attend or not attend, you know. To me, that would probably be the way you're going because what you're throwing sounds like it's going to be so very close to a shower. And there are plenty of people who've done showers where the theme is, we would like your best baby advice or we would like your best well wishes for our, our new family. Lizzie, when you say shower light, I, I had been going to ask you, what's a sprinkle party? Lizzie, what's know, a sprinkle and a, party? And a sprinkle isn't the same as sprinkles for, for second, not. third babies coming where you just need a little bit. And sometimes those sprinkles are exactly what we're talking about here, where they say, we want to gather to celebrate this pregnancy and this new baby. But we really, we had a, a kid two years ago. We've got everything we need. <laughs> and I, it's appropriate. What I always liked about, and this is tricky etiquette territory, the idea of that second shower, that sprinkle, mm-hmm. that second baby um, celebration party, is that in many ways it acknowledged that the nature of the shower wasn't just practical gift giving. Yes. It's not just about setting up first-time parents, that there is a lot to gift giving that's about um, passing on a tradition. I, my mother made an Afghan for me and now I'm making an Afghan for you. Or maybe it's about knowledge or information. This was a gift that we got. That was something we didn't know about because we'd never had a baby before. And it was an initiatory experience into the world of parenting in some way, sort of through a thing that there are so many ways that a gift communicates that it's that it's not just about practical gift giving one of my favorite themes for showers is a set up our child's library theme yeah a book theme and sharing favorite children's books books that were read to you books that you found worked really well with your kids or kids that are important in your life is to me such a such a rich opportunity and you might think about something like that, a theme that takes the gift giving into that let's build memories kind of thought yeah, and category yeah. as opposed to the let's stock the nursery the first time. Because you just reminded me, too, that another great gift that's not a, a physical gift is is a gift of experience. So saying things like, you know, giving a gift certificate for a trip to a local children's museum or something or a walk with the baby or something like that are all really valuable things too. They really are. I mean, I know that my sister probably appreciated me coming over 
um, to spend time with her and, and baby Delphine last year more than any baby blanket I could have knitted or little outfit I could have bought, you know, but it was that spending time together, especially in that first year when everything is so new and there are so many adjustments and your, your schedule is just, you've had no sleep, um, that, that those gifts of your time can also really, really be wonderful gifts too. So that might be something to mention as you make the suggestion for things other than physical, you know, store-bought or handmade gifts that people might, might gravitate towards. Sarah, all this talk about new babies has just got me so excited. Thank you for sharing a little bit of that excitement with us. And we hope our answer helps and the party planning goes smoothly. How do you go about being thoughtful? What do you do? Every time I try, I only make things worse. Is there some particular method of being thoughtful that works every time? Our next question might sound like it comes from the past, but it is a current question about desk phones. Dear Emily Post Institute, I had a question regarding the use of desk phones in relation to working quarters. For example, is it correct that if someone calls you at your desk and someone else answers the call because you're not there and takes a message of, please call Susie back at extension 444 regarding X, Y, or Z, that you can then call Susie back at the extension. But if Susie doesn't answer her desk phone right away, then you stay on the phone and let it ring, hoping she may have just stepped away from her desk and will be right back to answer your call, considering she just told your coworker to have you call her at that number. I had someone mention that it wasn't, per Emily Post, to do that. Let the desk phone ring until the person answers. And I wanted to inquire to see what you had to say, as I couldn't find it otherwise mentioned regarding this scenario. Sincerely, William. William, thank you so much for asking this question. You are bringing me back to the days of our our larger 12-person team in our office on Union Street at Emily Post. And oh, those Toshiba the, the, phones. I, I cannot tell you how much we miss between Dan and I, the intercom system, because we used to just buzz each other. And it was it was great. You could see if someone was on the line, so you knew you couldn't buzz them if if they were on a call. You could, however, easily interrupt someone's meeting. So there was a mm-hmm. lot of actually, I'm talking with Elizabeth right now. Do you mind? Like, I'll get back to you in a bit or something like that. But I loved being able to just one button. My voice comes in in your office. I can ask you where to find that thing, spell that thing, if you've done that thing. It was so great. It was so, so great. It was one of the things we really lost. And, and we replaced that particular feature with text message between the two of us. And it's not the same. Like, I totally miss the, yeah. like, beep, hey, cuz, that I would hear coming from you or something like that. But this is a little bit different. Someone has called you, you missed the call, you are calling them back, and how long do you let that phone ring? Because you're right, technically that person, Susie, she just called you, so she should theoretically be around ready to take your call back. And of course, we all do things like go to the restroom, grab a cup of coffee, get caught up in a quick conversation, go grab something at the copier, things like that. Make the next call on our list. Make the next call on our list. And usually if you're making the next call on the list, you will be sent to a voicemail. But if you're just buzzing into an extension, I could see where it might ring and ring and ring and ring. 
it's not that it's not Emily Post to do it, but I will say that it's not very polite, especially if you've got multiple people in one office or any kind of an open office scenario going on or a cubicle scenario going on to let a phone just ring like that. In fact, it's probably why Susie's coworker picked up the phone in the first place at not their own desk. So ah. it's like, you know, it's like, is it Emily Post to do? Is it not? I'd say for me personally, if I didn't hear Susie pick up after about four rings, I would hang up or I would leave the message. And given the way my brain works, I would probably do something like either if we have an IM service, if we have a Slack channel going, I would probably message her via that and say, hey, just tried you that sort of thing. Just tried you back. At, like I'm back at my desk. will be until this time. Feel free to call anytime. Or I might, if it's an external thing, use email. So if I'm, I'm going to someone outside of my company and just say, you know, hi, Susie, just gave you a ring back. Must have missed you. Please call me at your earliest convenience. It, basically, what's happening here is you're initiating phone tag. Like it's it's tag you're it. You know, now we're in a game of trying to catch each other and we're not in the same physical space. So it makes it a little a little funny sometimes, we'll say. All I can say is total victory. <laughs> Well, two, and it's why it's a total victory. One, A-plus business answer. I've got some business etiquette seminars. I'm ready for you to go deliver, oh, Lizzie Post. Oh, really? You, got, you want to take on some of the wedding ones for me? <laughs> we could swap. <laughs> deal and deal. And <laughs> Shoot. <laughs> the reason I'm so excited is I, I, I love the start of the answer. Just the, And it's so hard for us to say, oh, that's not Emily Post, because that's not the way we think of it. Right. And... When you really get down to it, yeah, about four or five rings, and it's up to you to not. It, it, it's like going to someone's front door and just knocking yeah, and knocking it, and knocking and knocking analogy, and knocking. Very good analogy. <laughs> at, at, at some point, no, it is rude. And like, yeah, no, if they're not there, it doesn't hurt anybody. And if they are there, you could say, well, why aren't they answering the front door? Well, any of a thousand reasons. So stop knocking. <laughs> <laughs> and it's it's so easy to do this wrong i do this to my brother all the time i call him and i'll be thinking about something else and the phone will ring and in particularly he also still has a home landline that rings and rings and rings and doesn't go to a voicemail okay so i think i'm used to in my mind calling cell phones where it'll cut and go to a voicemail at some point mm -hmm. so that's the one phone where i have to hold myself accountable to this internal etiquette and i, I make the mistake all the time because i'm just not used to it it's not muscle memory yeah. for me at this point but it's etiquette muscle memory and about ring seven eight nine i i'm imagining my brother and his wife trying to take care of their daughters, get dinner cooked. I know how busy their house gets Put with a phone down, that's just like ringing quietly. and ringing yeah. and ringing. And why won't that person just hang up? And <laughs> so I apologize to him if like, he picks up after a 10 ring or um, if the next time I talk to him, I oftentimes later that night realize I just sat there with the phone ringing. Um, yeah. So I, I, I like that as a jumping off point. Do, do your best. Hold yourself accountable to not being that overly persistent neighbor but i love 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 your follow-up thought about using some of those other methods of communication that are at your disposal mm -hmm. because voicemails don't always get listened to messages that people take particularly per, uh, personal messages mm -hmm. they picked up the phone and told you it's they call it phone tag for a reason those messages are very easy to get wrong get mixed up get not delivered 
And the idea that you would just want to be certain that you let someone know that you had both received their message and that you had tried to reach them back and how you had done it, I think is a plus business etiquette. My brother for a call about the fantasy football league doesn't need that kind of care or attention, but for a business etiquette question, I think it's, it's a really good follow-up thought. William, thank you so much for bringing us back into the office and asking this question. We hope our answer helps. These words are important when you are using the telephone. They will help you to be kind and considerate of other people. Thank you for your questions. Please send us updates or feedback on our answers to awesomeetiquette at emilypost.com. Leave a voicemail or text message at 802-858-KIND. That's 802-858-5463. Or reach us on social media. On Twitter, we are at emilypostinst. On Instagram, we are at emilypostinstitute. And on Facebook, we're Awesome Etiquette. Just use the hashtag Awesome Etiquette with your social media post so that we know you want your question on the show. If you love Awesome Etiquette, consider becoming a sustaining member. You can find out more about this by visiting us at patreon.com slash awesomeetiquette. You'll get an ads-free version of the show and access to bonus questions and content. Plus, you'll feel great knowing that you help to keep Awesome Etiquette on the air. And to those of you who are already sustaining members, thank you so much for your support. It's time for our feedback segment, where we hear from you about the questions we answer and the topics we cover. And today we have feedback from Catherine. Dear Lizzie and Dan, I have had a recent etiquette breakthrough and I wanted to share with you. About a year ago, I resolved to get better at remembering details about people. I hated the moments when a coworker would reference his trip to Hawaii, for example, and I would say, oh, right, how was your vacation? As if that counted for remembering it. I also never like asking or being asked, so what's new? So I began jotting down notes on my phone after interesting conversations, reminding myself to ask if a friend's wife is feeling better, how his garden is coming along, or just writing down what we talked about. I try to glance back at the notes before catching up with a friend or coworker. It makes me a better conversationalist and small talker. I wanted to share my etiquette triumph with you and ask if you have any additional thoughts on this topic. I hope that other listeners might find this trick as useful as I have. Warmest regards, Catherine. Catherine, I absolutely love your feedback because I am someone who has been feeling like she doesn't ask enough questions of other people. I don't know if it's just because Dan and I get asked so many questions, whether we're being interviewed for something or it's on this podcast or whatever's going on. I feel like there's often questions coming my way. And I realized on this trip that I went on that I don't think I was asking as many questions and sort of being inquisitive about other people's lives as I should have been. And so, Catherine, I loved your suggestion. I am going to be doing it and reminding myself to ask and engage uh, more with those around me because I, I was I was feeling the same. I was feeling the same. <laughs> I just love the whole spirit of this. And right? I get triumph, the, the <laughs> willingness to want to, to try new things, but then give yourself some time to let those changes have effects. Oh, I, yeah. I just so appreciate hearing this feedback, Catherine, and thank you for letting us share in your triumph. We also have some feedback on episode 298. Hi, Dan and Lizzie. I'm writing in response to the etiquette situation where the person writing in was seeking emotional support from their friend. 
The writer texted their friend asking for support, but the friend never ended up replying to the text message, even though the reader saw the friend had read the message. My feedback is that I think when asking for support from a friend, it's considerate to check in and get consent before opening up an emotional conversation. Here's a sample script, and I love this script. Hi, friend. I'm having a tough day today. I'm wondering if you have the emotional space to support me today. That's the end of the quote. I like the emotional check-in because it lets people opt in to giving support while also giving them an out if they aren't able to give support for whatever reason. Anonymous. It's a great tip. I like it too. And I like the reminder that just because we ask for something doesn't mean we're necessarily going to receive it or that yep. we're owed it. Yep. Anonymous, thank you for the perspective. Thank you all for sending us your thoughts and updates. Please keep them coming. You can send your feedback or update to awesomeetiquette at emilypost.com or leave us a voicemail or text at 802-858-KIND. That's 802-858-5463. It's time for our Postscript segment, where we dive deeper into a topic of etiquette. And today we are going to start a two-part series, take note, be sure to tune in next week, on invitations. We're going to be looking at invitation from the host perspective. Next week we'll be looking at responding to invitations. And I just have to tell everyone a little bit of background on this, which is that Lizzie Post went to our website to look for information oh, on invitations. Oh, this is shameful. This is shameful. <laughs> and I'm going to flip that script and... What she discovered, let me put words in your mouth, Lizzie Post, was that we had a lot of information about responding to invitations. And that's because we had learned that the RSVP is a really important topic in etiquette. So we had wanted to have a lot of information for people about the importance of the RSVP. And the weight maybe got a little bit on the response side. <laughs> and there wasn't an overarching article about just creating an invitation from scratch for all kinds of different events. And thus, a postscript was born. Lizzie Post, <laughs> would you like to take us away? Absolutely. I feel like even though we are still uh, two months away from what is technically the holiday season, and even really two, like maybe even like two and a half months away from it, if you think about Thanksgiving as the kickoff, I really feel like invitations, especially for holiday stuff, they come early. And it's a good time for us to be thinking about how to be issuing them well so that we get the desired effect, people coming to our parties, and also how to be responding to them well. So this is our kind of pregame for the holiday stuff that is going to start to descend on, on the Awesome Etiquette audience in the next couple of months. Very good. And I think the most important piece of advice we could start with is that for hosts, it is so imperative that you are clear with your invitation. What are you inviting someone to? What are the necessary details they need to know? Typically, this is what's happening, who's hosting, where is it, when is it, are we going to need to bring anything or are there any special details, you know, about being able to participate well in this event, whatever it is. And I think that these are classics. We all we all think we kind of know them. But even if you're doing a casual invitation via text message to a group you entertain with regularly, 
So you want to be really clear, even if these are friends that come over all the time to your place, that this event is being held at your house. That would be the where. You want to let them know exactly when it's occurring, even if you typically only ever do things on Friday evenings after 7 p.m. And have a loose start time. That would be the when. That would be the when. You want to make it clear that you're the one inviting. We would love you to come to. (laughs) You know, that sort of thing. We and you, that would be the who. (laughs) And I like that who comes up twice, right? It's who's hosting and who's being invited. So make it clear on that outer envelope or make it clear with that message that you send. Families welcome, kids welcome, or, you know, just adults for the night or just the one person's name. Now, typically, if you're inviting a couple, you would not invite only one member of the couple unless you already happen to know that the other member of the couple was out of town or something that weekend. So again, who? (laughs) I think it's also really great to make sure that what it is that's going to happen is really clear. Is this a birthday party? Is this a casual pizza and movie night? Is it a potluck? Those kinds of things are really important too. Knowing what you're attending is definitely important. And even if it's not explicit, it should be communicated in the invitation. Absolutely. And I, I, I like, Lizzie, on your script notes that you have the who, what, when, where. And th- that's my little mnemonic for thinking about an invitation. But I like this little and extras. Mm-hmm. If there is something about a tire or a potluck that would be important extra information, you definitely want to include that as well. Typically, a traditional invitation is going to read really nicely like a sentence Who are we inviting? To what event? When is it happening? Where is it happening? When is it happening? Anything specific the guest needs to know. And it should flow that way, right? Like, please join us for a party to honor Anisha's fourth birthday. You know, I know really clear. And then listing out on Saturday, July 4th, her birthday is not July 4th (laughs) at 2 p.m. (laughs) But it really lets you know exactly all the information and it makes sense in the, in the flow of how you'd want to find it out. It makes it easy and clear. Again, we're going back to that big word that we want all hosts to focus on the word clear. You want to clearly invite people, make it very easy for them to say yes or no. We all also add to all of these classics that we happen to think RSVPs are wonderful. I don't think it's a great idea to just leave a regrets only or not ask for an RSVP. In this day and age, people just aren't trained as well on the RSVP. I'm going to say it that way. We just aren't. It's not as much of a habit for us. It's why we get so many emails, so many questions to the Institute about is RSVPing dead? Like what's going on here? So I think it's best to always include an RSVP and you include the person who needs to be RSV, who the RSVP should be issued to. You include their name and you include some form of contact information. That could be an email. It could be a phone number. Um, You could even say, please text your RSVP to and list a phone number. Those are all perfectly appropriate. If you needed it to be your handwritten RSVP, then of course you would write the address of the person that you'd want it sent to, that sort of thing. Really, really important to include that RSVP. Lizzie, something I like about thinking about the RSVP is that it also gets me thinking about the method that Mm -hmm. you're issuing the invitation in because the two are going to be related. If your invitation is a printed or handwritten invitation, you might get an RSVP <laughs> in written form. It might arrive in the mail. There's a, there's a heavy might on that audience. Heavy might. <laughs> Stranger things have happened. Stranger but, um, things have happened. 
but obviously if, if, if that invitation comes as a, an email and there's a, a button response on the email invitation itself, that RSVP is going to look like something very different. And in some ways, thinking about the invitation that's the most likely to both reach people and be something that they can see and respond to, but also that sets the right tone for your event is an important part of the process. So for some people, it might mean that you follow that printed mailed invitation with a follow-up phone call because, Mm -hmm. you know, they move around a lot or maybe aren't even at their apartment where you mailed it right now or whatever it might be, but really be thinking about the functionality of the method of your invitation, both for delivering your message, but also for setting the tone for the party or the event that you're trying to host. Exactly. A Facebook invite to me is always considered a casual invitation. Whereas if I see something in the mail, and frankly, even when I get a text message, just because text message is quick and casual, to me, it doesn't always downgrade to a casual invitation necessarily. Like I've received a lot of more serious text message invites than I have via, for instance, something like a social network. And as we've learned too, the in-person invite is not just let's get together. It's let's get together. Can you make Tuesday night or I will call you Friday so that we can set something up. The, Hey, let's get together sometime is, is not a real invitation. It's a suggestion. Dan, one of the other things to think about, and we actually have a really fantastic link to this. This was a good article on our website is the timing of the invitation. You really want to make sure that you give enough time for your guests to check their schedules, check with their partners, their kids' schedules, their babies, you know, a babysitter if you need to get a babysitter for the event. Or to leave enough time if you know that your crowd tends to book up fast. So when I start hearing among my social group that people are pretty busy this summer, I realized that if I was going to throw anything, I needed to probably send even a casual backyard barbecue invite about a month ahead of time, which might seem absolutely ludicrous. But it's not if you're really trying to actually catch your audience, make sure you're on people's calendars early. I would probably send some kind of a follow-up two weeks before the event to say, really looking forward to seeing you. I actually ding, just ding, ding. Yeah, exactly. Right, right, right. I actually just had a friend do this, and it was incredible. She has a, a lake house on one of the beautiful lakes here in Vermont, and they're going to hire a band, and it'll be a nice outdoor party. But people will be able to kind of bring their boats up to the place where the band is set up. So there'll be some people partying on their boats, some people partying on the lawn. I think it's going to be really, really fun. I've been excited for it. She sent that invitation via text message to all of her girlfriends about six weeks before the party. And it's fantastic. She then reminded us, and then there was a double check-in just this week about it. And I felt A, so included, like I wasn't just going to show up and maybe, maybe it was like, oh yeah, I forgot we invited Lizzie, you know? <laughs> Three <laughs> people are there. You know, now, some now hot you're dogs. all seeing my social anxiety and insecurities come out, but it's, it's really true. We, I got to double check with her about whether it was bringing Sunny, my dog or not, you know, and, and what kind of vibe does she need help? Would she like her girlfriends to come help clean beforehand? And of course, her answers were no, don't bring anything. Yes, I'm all set on cleaning. We just want you to show up. 
up and have an amazing time. But it was so wonderful and it, it, it kind of kept pepping me up for the event to have this long lead get followed up a couple times. So it's important to think about that timing. And especially during a kind of stranger time that we're all in where we're partially vaccinated, partially not people's schedules seem to be changing a little, a little more, be a little different from, I think probably 2019 life. And it's, it's just nice to recognize that, give that extra long lead time. I love the reminder about the reminder. My <laughs> brain can keep track of social engagements about one weekend into the future. And that's not the weekend after next. That's the weekend that's coming in somewhere between three and two days. Right, <laughs> <And> right. <laughs> if, if we're really talking about the appointments for the following weekend, there's a very good chance I've replied in the affirmative and have no idea what I've committed to or not. And <laughs> the 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 idea that you would both give someone enough lead time to be able to say yes, but then also pay them the courtesy of staying in touch about an event that m might have a month lead time, I think is is really wise. And because there are people like me out there, I think Lizzie Post that the reminder to be patient is also really important. And I love the spirit or the tone that you described with that party where it, it got you excited. It was almost like it continued to, to, to tease it forward and draw you in more yeah. and more. The tone wasn't, don't forget, you said you would be here. It was, it's getting closer, countdown, or whatever it is. The, 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 the nature of the way those contacts happen were ramping you up to the event. Yeah, it was very much so. I'm so excited to see you. People will we'll have everything ready by noon. Most people are going to show up around two. The band will start at this time. Like it was so just a uh, giving information and letting us know she was so excited that we would be there. It was it was great. It was it was really great. You're right. It was not a double checking that you haven't forgotten. <laughs> like <laughs> the tone was excellent to to rev us up for this weekend. We say patience is a virtue and giving other people the credit of goodwill and good intentions is is just so important while we herd cats. And that's the the job of a host these days. And I think probably there's always been a, a certain aspect of that role that has been difficult for, for just that reason. We certainly hope, audience, that this inspires you all to jump on it, get some events set up as safely as you can, and to invite your guests well. You see, Nora, different letters have different purposes. They do all kinds of things. There are letters of invitations, and some of them are formal ones. We like to end our show on a high note, so we turn to you to hear about the good etiquette you're seeing and experiencing out in the world, and that can come in so many forms. Today, we have a salute from Happy Hiker to Brian. Hi, awesome etiquette crew. I am excited to send you this etiquette salute from today. I work for a large park district in a metropolitan area, but because of COVID, my usual job of doing hands-on learning with visitors had to change. I now spend my time working as a park ambassador being a friendly, albeit socially distanced, face. I answer questions, give trail recommendations, and provide orientation for the influx of new park visitors caused by COVID. Today I worked in a different park than I usually do, so I decided to orient myself with a short hike on one of the more popular trails. About halfway through my hike, I met Brian, a school bus driver. 
He told me he loved the park and regularly spends a few hours between his work shifts exploring its beauty and serenity. When I told him this park was new to me, he joyfully invited me to join him on the second half of the trail. He made sure to point out all the trail's best features, like the best spot to view the waterfall, the really interesting mushrooms that popped up since the morning rain, and a huge oak tree more than five feet in diameter. Wow. I felt as if he were the park ambassador and I was the visitor. As we walked, Brian even stopped to pick up a discarded water bottle along the trail and carry it out to a recycling bin. He said he tries to take at least one piece of trash with him every time he visits. It was a delightful surprise to find such a welcoming and kind soul on the trail. Thank you, Brian, for showing me all the delights of the Green Trail and for helping to keep the Metro Parks clean for everyone. Best happy hiker. Oh, just claps for that one. Brian's the kind of guy we all want to run into. I love that that he always takes a piece of trash he finds on the trail with him out. This must have been a dream for our happy hiker to run into. Thank you so much for sharing this salute, happy hiker. It's so nice to hear. And thank you for listening. Thanks to everyone who sent us something and who supports us, of course, on Patreon. Please do connect with us and share the show with friends, family, and coworkers, however you like to share podcasts. You can send us questions, feedback, and salutes by email to awesomeetiquette at emilypost.com. By phone, you can leave us a message or text message at 802-858-KIND. That's 802-858-5463. On Twitter, we are at Emily Post Inst. On Instagram, we are at Emily Post Institute. And on Facebook, we're Awesome Etiquette and the Emily Post Institute. Please do consider becoming a sustaining member. You can find out more about this by visiting patreon.com slash awesome etiquette. You can also subscribe to the ads version of the show on your favorite podcast platform. And please consider leaving us a review. It helps our show ranking, which helps more people find awesome etiquette. Our show is edited by Chris Albertine and assistant produced by Bridget Dowd. Thanks, Chris and Bridget. Thanks, Chris and Bridget. Bridget.